I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Einen Handkuss den Damen, einen guten Abend, den Herren und den Jugend. Wir melden uns aus dem Wembley-Stadion zu London. We're not only going to plant the tree, we also want to bury this box. Because as Val says, in the year 2000... We do hope that Blue Peter will still be continuing. So we thought we'd like to leave souvenirs of what we were like and of what the program was like here in 1971. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the greatest games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. Opposite me is Jonathan Wilson. And today joining us is a man you all know. It's Andy Brassel, a man of this Football Ramble Daily parish and European football journalist. Andy, good to have you with us. Thanks for inviting me, fellas. Yes. And how are you, Jonathan? I'm very well, thanks. Marvellous stuff. Well, today we've got um, a, a, a game involving one of the great sides of all time. It's the 1971 European Cup final when Ajax beat Panathinaikos 2-0. Andy, why have you chosen this game? I think it's a sort of watershed game for a a number of reasons, uh, really, because um, I think it's the moment where Johan Cruyff went from being a great player into uh, someone who was an an absolute megastar. This was the moment where he he really started to explode. Um, And on, on the other side, of course, Panathinaikos, um, you know, you think of it being the start of the, the, the AX dynasty, dynasty and stuff. And yes, that is the main story. But Panathinaikos is still the only Greek team to have reached a European final. And, um, you know, there's a certain context to it. There's the fact that their manager at the time was Ferenc Puskas as well, returning to the, the scene of one of his most visible triumphs, the which made him crime. a superstar. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Uh, 18 years before. Um, when Hungary played uh, England at Wembley in 53. So I, I think there's a lot of really interesting angles to this. The other reason, of course, is uh, Jonathan said he hadn't done enough games in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, Jonathan, it's uh, Ajax, we all know about them. But as Andy said, Panathinaikos, one can understandably forget 
their role in this final because it was extremely unlikely that they would reach the final. But uh, that Ajax side, you know, they, they you could say, changed the, the, the way football is played and understood. Yeah, they did. And I guess when you have um, a game like this, you, you always wonder what would have happened if Ajax hadn't won it. Mm. Yes. You know, it sort of it feels almost inevitable that the that, that Ajax's greatness was 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 manifest. Everybody knew they were great, and obviously it goes on into the the Netherlands in '74, and and then you know, all those ideas transferred to Barcelona, and it, it sort of shapes modern football essentially. Mm. But this game, although although Ajax certainly had the bulk of the chances, they weren't that dominant. It wouldn't have been a completely crazy result if Panathinaikos had, had equalised late on, say, and taken it to a replay. And and then you st- you know, you wonder well they'd already lost in one European Cup final you know they'd lost to Milan in in sixty nine, um, what what might have happened if they'd lost a second one, uh, and then especially if that had been compounded by by the Netherlands losing in the seventy four final would total football have been seen as football for nearly men would they have won it in yeah. seventy two and seventy three well let's not forget that they only although they were totally dominant in both finals much more dominant than they were in this game they only won those two games one nil. Absolutely. This shapes the way we think about Ajax, doesn't it? It totally shapes the way we think about Ajax because, of course, Rinas Mikkels goes straight off to Barcelona after they've, they've won this. I mean, it had been a long season for them. They had to go to a replay to beat Sparta Rotterdam in the KMVB Becker final um, as, as they're on their, their, their way to winning that as, as well. So it had been a, a tough old final and they, they creaked at certain points. I mean, it's funny, isn't it, how Mikkels is seen as the genius. Stefan Kovac, who's his successor as coach, is just seen as, you know, just a caretaker. Yeah, this really. bumbling nice guy who came in and relax, yeah. relaxed them all a bit. He wasn't as intense as Mikkels. Um, but nobody gives them any credit. I mean, you want back to back European Cup finals for crying out loud. Yeah, yeah. And, and they arguably reach bigger heights in those finals. They definitely reach bigger heights in Was those finals. Was he the Bob Paisley finals. of the piece? Possibly. Well, I think I think you can you can make that argument. Well, I, I think there's actually, I mean, I'm not sure that Shank, maybe it does actually be Shankly Paisley um, uh, parallel. Uh, but I think there's definitely. Ferguson Moyes? <laughs> there's there's definitely um, a trend you or, or a pattern you can see in, in various other places obviously not a universal pattern where you have a real hard man comes in and starts something off as I mean I guess Buckingham you could say began mm. and Mik- but Mikkels takes it to another level um, but then for 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 that team to reach its absolute peak you need somebody to, to come in and just sort of just sort of um Take away some of the constraints, not be as tough, let the players express themselves more, and you get a slightly more decadent form, but it leads to a more beautiful uh, form of the sport. The players are are not constrained by by a a very strict tactical framework, and that is also actually the seed of their their destruction and decline. So I think where you you see it really clearly is actually in English cricket, that you had Nasser Hussain, who, who took a an England side that was completely kind of shambolic, made them a team that were hard to beat. And then Michael Vaughan comes in and makes them a great side that wins the Ashes in 2005. You know, I really wondered what was going to be the first metaphor. I wondered if it would be Jonathan or, <laughs> mm. on cricket or Sunderland or mm-hmm. me on NBA. Yeah. Well, you, you, there's your this answer. Is, this is well, nothing like Jordan's Bulls. I'd, I'd like to make that clear. But I, I think... I I, think well, it's, it's, like, it's like gardening, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, 
no, but the, the in a sense, the job of a gardener is to stop the fruit or the flower reaching full maturity because as soon as it does, it goes under decline. Mm. So Mikkels is the great pruner mm. and Korvash is the man who sort of lets this garden luxuriate, but in doing that, permits it to, to, to begin to go into decay. But it is funny what you were saying about that that level of obsession and sometimes you you need the change. I mean, obviously, Mikkels had other things to do but I think there was a sense of like the, the pressure valve being released I mean there's that story isn't there about Pete Kaiser who up until this point and when we talk about this being a transitional moment for Ajax a lot of people believed that this was Kaiser's team before that that he did all the work and Kreuz scored all the goals a lot of people genuinely believe that and I think this game and the way it went and the influence that Cruyff had at Wembley started to change that but how intense Mickles was. I mean, it's funny, you know, you think more recently about Bayern players saying when Ancelotti took over from Guardiola, which turned out to be very ill-fated, obviously. The fact is that originally those Bayern players were like, oh, isn't that nice? You know, not, not, to, not to have to be taken through videos of how Mainz are going to play at the weekend. Who cares how Mainz are going to play at the, <laughs> the, the, the weekend? But th- there was that story that Pete Kaiser, when he, heard the sto- when he heard the news that Mickles had left, he was in his local pub and he got on the table and did a dance because <laughs> he was so pleased that, that he'd gone. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting as well to hear Jonathan bringing up Vic Buckingham and obviously before that Jack Reynolds you have this this great English lineage um, that directly affected Mickles, du- directly affected Johan Cruyff like Buckingham's second spell at Ajax wasn't particularly good but he did give Cruyff his debut in 1964 so that was something that well, was and, and not, not only that but Cruyff's mother was Buckingham's cleaner mm. Cruyff learned English by hanging around with Buckingham's kids so it's all very Robson and Village Boish, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so once again, to the world of football, you are welcome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it, it's fascinating. Let's let's before we um, go on and talk about the kind of the legacy and and uh, and all that. Let's talk about the game itself mm. um, because it was at Wembley, as you, as you say, Ajax um, in in the final against Panathinaikos. Panathinaikos um, had had quite a tough route there. They'd beat Everton. And, uh, and 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 Red Star, and they, they needed a last minute goal at uh, Leoforos. Yeah, they did against Everton to 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 do that mm-hmm. from uh, Antonis Antoniadis, who's who's the top scorer in the competition. Fair to say they had an interesting semi final two legs against <laughs> Red Star Belgrade. Uh, I will use the English pronunciation or not pronunciation, the English form. Yeah. Um, they lost the first leg four one, and then quite incredibly they won the second leg three 0 yeah, Marcus, I think when we do look at the semi-final, you have to bear in mind that Leoforos is a formidable stadium. I don't mean formidable in the sense that it's an arena fit for kings. It's more the fact that it's very tight, very intimidating. I, I doubt very much it's changed much since the 1970s. You get the sense that they've just plonked seats on the existing structure, and you know it's it's not for the for the faint-hearted. So you, you have to bear that in mind. Um, and of course, Antoniadis did have a, a a big influence as as well as the top scorer in the the, the competition in, in the comeback. But we have to look at the context of of where Panathinaikos were and, and where Greek culture was as well. Because um, between 1967 and 1974, it was a military dictatorship under uh, uh, 
Georgios Papadopoulos, and uh, he gave a lot of um, political favour and material financial favour to Panathinaikos to help them get to where they were. And, you know, we've seen how dictatorships use sports. He wasn't a particularly big football fan as a, a symbol of power. We've, we, we've seen that in, in, in various other occasions. And obviously Jonathan's written about that in his work about Argentinian football, for example. Um, and it, it was interesting. I mean, you know, we're so we're all, we're almost desensitized in the modern era to great mm. comebacks in in the Champions League and, and the European Cup. But this was something quite extraordinary against Red Star in in the in the semi. And also, we should still hammer home the point that Panathinaikos. It's not like oh, they were a really good side, and often in the in the past European Cups, you would get these like a great storybook or S side won yeah. it in the late eighties, or uh, I don't know, one or two other teams. It, they were very unlikely. Greek football was not particularly uh, all singing, all dancing. It was very, very unlikely that Panathinaikos would get to the final. Yeah, and it, so it's still fact, a big thing back then. In fact, in two thousand and seven, Despina Gaspari, who's the the widow of Papadopoulos, mm. she claimed that the second leg was fixed. Right. She, she said she was really worried about the um, uh, about them being down after the first leg, and her husband told her, "Don't worry about it. It's all it's all in hand." And and they did get to to, to Wembley, of course. And so, did, did did she give any details of of the fix? I mean, in, in it was fixed as in the referee. Red, red no, Red Star were paid. she said, you know, the interesting thing about that is. That in '66, when Partizan got to the final mm. and lost to Real Madrid, there were all kinds of rumours that that game had been sold. Uh, and I know uh, uh, Vazovic, who, who played for, for Ajax in this game, was, was playing with Partizan in that game. Yeah. And I know he always, you know, was furious about the suggestions and said, "No, they were just better than us. Come on, look at them. They mm. they were a great side." And then, of course, when, when Vazovic got to the final in in '91, there were all kinds of very strange rumours about. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are going to be rumours when you're playing Tapis Marseille. <laughs> um, but it does seem to be a constant theme with Yugoslav sides that I don't know whether there's a paranoia maybe in the Yugoslav media kind of thought that their, their players were particularly susceptible or, or whether whether it's just an economic fact that well, the people from Yugoslavia, you know, it didn't, you know, because their income was relatively low, yes. they were bribable because you didn't have to have huge sums to make it very worth their, their while. Exactly. And it's interesting, I think, that while Despina Gaspari spoke about it on Greek television, the only place where it was internationally reported was, in fact, Serbia. Right. Okay. After, after, afterwards, um, which, which I, found, I found quite interesting, although obviously there's, there's the, the, the red star angle to it. Um, but I think Marseille are a really good point as, as, as well, Jonathan, because I think it is worth underlining that whatever um, the implications, uh, the allegations and the proven facts, like with Marseille in 93, this is still a terrific side. A terrific Panathinaikos side, and French Pushkash, who, as we said, has this incredible history with with, with Wembley. And when you watch back the the the, the old footage of it um, of the nineteen seventy one final, and Kenneth Wolstenholme talks about it all the time. He talks about it all the time during commentary, and I I, I love that. And uh, it gets to the end, and he's like, "Yes, yeah, sir. Ferenc Pushkas looks like he's going to end up a loser today." <laughs> <laughs> he sounds ever so jolly about it. <laughs> but uh, th- this was Pushkas' only real moment as a coach. Obviously, one of the greatest players in the history of a game. As a coach, he never really had that that sort of impact. Now he was at Panathinaikos for five years, as we said, in a very particular time 
in uh, Greek history, Greek modern Greek uh, history and modern Greek football history and in Panathinaikos history. And th- this was the first time he'd won a league championship and he did that this season. And, and this side went on to, you know, as Jonathan said, put in a really creditable display in, in the final. And Antony Idis, he was something that, they found very difficult to deal with. Mm. You you look at Ajax there, and you know when when we look at the the, the modern Ajax team who were, who were so brilliant in the Champions League last season, you think, oh, with a little tweak and a couple of tweaks at the back, you know, with maybe a little bit less cavalier, maybe they they would have been able to go on and, and win it. And what you say, Jonathan, before about sliding doors, well, there are moments in this. Like Vasovic is on his last legs as a player and retires straight after the final. And he, he couldn't deal with Antonio Addis at all. Yeah. And it's interesting. Well, I mean, Vazovic, uh, uh, yeah, might as well sort of sure. mention him and why why end up at Ajax. It's, um, essentially, Michels thought that Ajax weren't tough enough. He thought mm. they were mm. too pretty, pretty. Let's bring in a hard man Serbian defender. Let's get a Serbian centre And like, <laughs> you know, Vazovic was all of that and a supremely good footballer as well. Mm. He was a hard man who could could play football. And I think, you know, we talked earlier about the transition from, from Michels to, to Kovac. And I think the personalities of the coach had a lot to do with the, the, the subtle changes in how Ajax played between 71 on the one hand and 72 3. Mm. But Vasovic. Uh, being replaced by by Blankenberg in the side, it was was also key that they they lost the hard man and they got in a a, a, a better passer of the ball essentially. Mm-hmm. But Vasovic was also the captain of the side. If I'm yeah, he, right he was a proper leader. Yeah, was, he was he the was only a, non-Dutchman in the starting? He was 11? the only foreigner uh, in either starting eleven. I mean, Blankenberg came on. He yeah, was right. a German. Uh-huh. But yeah, the Panathinaikos eleven Greeks, uh, Ajax yeah. ten Dutchmen plus him plus Blankenberg alright gentlemen after the break we will talk about the match itself see you in a moment Reinders to Hülsop Hülsop der Kaiser und Tor 1 zu 0 und zwar war es Van Dijk Van Dijk hier die Wiederholung Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them, and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com forward slash ramble. Let's talk about the game itself, the the the, the ninety minutes that happened. Um, Ajax score quite early on, Jonathan. Yeah, after it, about five minutes. Yeah, it's and it's a it's a move that I think is is very characteristic of that Ajax team, and one that perhaps we don't associate with them at all, which is Barry Holtov whacking a long ball over the top. Mm. Uh, but he, yeah, he, they like that. That as a way of of, of getting behind teams. Um, so yeah, he plays this long diagonal from from a centre circle uh, in behind uh, Tomaras, the 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 Panathinaikos right back, and then Kaiser, who yeah, really was had been as you know as Andy said, had been the icon of the side before Cruyff sort of comes through. Classic bit of wing play, cuts inside, nice little cross. And Dick Van Dyke glances the ball into the corner. The wonderfully named, nicknamed Di- Dick Van Dyke, we should say. <laughs> Diagnosis goal. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, so it was a great start for Ajax, Andy. It, it was. And, and they never looked back. I think the the, the past is, is, is definitely in their minds at, at that moment. I don't want to second guess it too much. But you got the impression that... Again, I think context is everything. In 69, when mm. uh, Vasovic scores in the final, he scored in two previous finals, of course. He scored for in the final for Partizan, and then he scored in the 69 final when they got absolutely belted by that, that, that Milan side. Um, you get the impression, whether it's Mikkel's putting the wind up them before they go out, or them saying to themselves, we cannot let this opportunity slip. They go out there and they really grab the game by the horns. This is where they say, right, this is our moment. We're winning this time. but We're we're not mucking about. And I think the interesting thing about this game is when you watch it now with fresh eyes, is how quick it is. Yeah, that's true. It's Mm -hmm. really, really fast-paced game. I mean, Panathinaikos are able to respond to that fast start in the end. But I I think as well as losing in 69 and feeling that they should have done better, that they should have given a better account of themselves, maybe experience-wise, they, they weren't ready against that Milan side. The thing that happens in 1970 is Feyenoord, of all teams, become, yeah, the, first, yeah, become yeah. the first Dutch team to win the European Cup. And that really pisses them off. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an interesting point how you say that they thought, right, we've got to, we've got to win this. And it feeds into the point about Mikkels that there was that sort of intensity and maybe uptightness about the whole operation when they win 
against Panathinaikos in in later finals um, under uh, uh, Kovash. Kovash. You know, one of the games they won one nil. Both of them they won one nil. Right. Okay. And and were very relaxed one nils. Well, the certainly the Juve game in seventy three, and I think this actually is what ends up costing them in seventy four the, the national team. Yes, exactly. But it, but, so seventy three, they 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 take the lead very early through mm. uh, Johnny Rep. I think the third or fourth minute they score, and then they basically just hold the ball. But they and they're doing it with a, with a sense of they're, they're really taking the piss out of you. Yeah, and it's almost like they're saying. You think one nil is your result? Yeah, you know, you'd be your one nils with the Catnaccio. You can have them. Mm. This is one of our one nils, and we're going to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to humiliate you. And then, of course, in the '74 World mm-hmm. Cup final, when many of the same players are there, they t- they take the lead in the first minute with a penalty. And I think there's a similar thing of yeah, let's let's take the piss out of the Germans. Huge uh, rivalry. And and you know the problem is you you could. You could take uh, take liberties maybe with that Juve side. You could not take liberties with with Gerd West Muller Germany. and West Germany. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, th- I think the other thing you think about in relation to the nineteen seventy four World Cup final when you watch this about the difference that Horst Blankenberg makes when he comes on and the fact that he could never get a game for Germany. Well, he he never played a single game for Germany, Blankenberg, um, because Beckenbauer was around at the, at the same time, and 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 they're both that that sort of libero type player and. Cruyff, of course, uh, Blankenberg spent what, five years in, in in the Netherlands. Cruyff spent a lot of that time, especially the second half, is better Ajax chipping away at him and going, "Come play for us, mm. come play for us at the '74 World Cup, declare for Holland." And he was he was never having it. Now, what a story that would have been if, yeah. if, if Blankenberg ended up in the Dutch team for the '74 World Cup and the winning the final in Munich. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's it's worth mentioning as well. Yeah. Um, you know, we mentioned Van Dijk, a proper centre forward, which again is yeah. something you don't think mm-hmm. of with Ajax. You think of them in their later iteration with with Cruyff as the as a false nine, and it, I have to say it took me qu- quite a while to work out what their formation was. Which I guess was part of the problem that opponents had. I was well, going to say, make a feel for them, yeah. But um, the Cruyff starts off sort of playing on. It is it is a four three three, although with a uh, with with as a, as a sweeper rather than as a rather than being a flat four. Uh, Johan Nijkens is playing at right back, <laughs> which is when you think of what an attacking midfielder he, he appeared in nineteen seventy four, was a bit of a shock. But he gets forward a, a lot. Yeah, Serbia, who's you know, you think of as a right back, was playing on the left because obviously Rude Kroll isn't there. Um, and then uh, a player I'd sort of totally forgotten about, Nico Reinders, playing the back of midfield, who, you know, a tragic story. It's, you know, he, he collapsed later that year on the pitch. His life was saved, but he died two years later. Um, and he's one of, you know, somebody who, if you say, name the great Dutch footballers of the early 70s, you can name sort of 15, 16, 17. It takes a long time before you get around to Nico Reinders. But mm. he, he was vital in this game because... Uh, Cruyff was playing as a midfielder. You had to have that that defensive presence mm. in the midfield. Jerry Muren alongside him, I guess. I mean, to call him a shuttler is to, to do him a gross disservice. But that mm. is the job he's doing, sure. sort of filling in, getting up and down. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so, so, so Cruyff playing this sort of very attacking central midfield role, getting up to support Van Dijk. But Van Dijk is, I, I'm not going to say he's a target man, but he's a good head of the ball. He's a great head of the goal. It's a really beautifully placed mm. head in, in the far post. But he has the physique of a a normal centre forward, you know, a six foot player who can play with his back to goal. Uh, and then, yeah, the two classic wingers with, with Kaiser on one side and, and Svart on the other, though Svart went off at half time. Mm. The, the, the other thing with Van Dijk, I suppose, is, and the other thing you notice when you rewatch the game, that the, the link with him and Cruyff 
and when you think of Kaiser as the the creative force in in the Ajax team up until this point, as the game progresses, it's all about Cruyff. Uh, but the way that he links with Van Dijk, I mean, as you say, your, your average target man, even your very good target man, can't have that sort of intuition with a player of the the, the level of Johan Cruyff. And Cruyff starts the game almost in a kind of inside right position in midfield, and he comes over to the to the left in that sort of that inside left position as we're more used to seeing him in, certainly in, in, in this sort of period later in the game. And he actually, I think, performs quite a useful defensive service as well. Because if you think the way that Panathinaikos worked, Harris Gramos, who, who the number seven, who played on that, that right-hand side, he was key in creating stuff for Antoniadis throughout this European Cup run. Now, all of a sudden, when Cruyff comes over and Kaiser's there already, all of a sudden, Tomaras has got a problem. So Gramos has to come back and help him out. And when he's doing that, he can't create anything for Antoniadis. So Antoniadis, he does have a few decent presentable glimpses at goal. And we talked about that one in the first half where Vasovic misjudges the clearance and it's a really good chance for Antoniadis that he's, he's, he's not expecting. He doesn't quite get it I on mean, target. Story does himself no favours also. I mean, Basically, just to explain yeah. to people, Vazovic, under not very much pressure, just heaps of clearance in the air. Story, just a massive slice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Stoy, the keeper, kind of comes out, but he's never never going to get there. And Antoniadis gets his head of there first. And I don't, I don't know who the covering defender is, but he's gone too fast. If the ball was like on target, it would have just sort of crept in. But yeah. as it was, it bounced, I don't know, four or five feet wide. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. But that is the sort of chance that Antoniadis was getting. He wasn't really... Gramos wasn't really able to create for him as, as as much as he would like to do. So Antoniadis was tough for for, for Ajax to, to to play, but fortunately for them, he wasn't having that many chances created for him. Mm. And, and from, that link, sorry, that, that yeah. link up between Cruyff uh, and, and, and Kaiser, uh, you know, Ajax hit the hit the hit the fame of the goal in the, in the second half. It's a slightly freakish occurrence. It's, it's a miss hit cross from Kaiser. Yeah, but the the space comes from this brilliant little one two between Kaiser and Cruyff. And they've been doing that kind of thing all game, um, so so yeah, that 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 link up was yeah, it's incredibly. I mean, it's, I guess by by that point in the game, Panathinaikos had started to say, right, we've just got to let them, we've got to accept that's a risk because we we do have to try, you know, try and find the equaliser. Mm-hmm. But that was that was the risk, and then it's it's Cruyff who sets up the the second with some brilliant sort of close control. Popping up where he started the game. On the right, yeah. yeah. Inside right position, slips the pass through for um, half-time substitute, uh, Ari Hahn, and then deflected shot. So a little bit fortuitous, but... But that was it, really, 2-0 in the game. And that, so, that yeah. was, what, three minutes from time? Yeah, just, yeah. Just minutes, to, yeah. So it could have been, could have easily been another 1-0. Yeah. I mean, I not, mean, not that it would have been seen as another 1-0. That's what you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but 3-1-0 wins. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's funny, though, because... You think of, I actually think of total football, you think a lot of goals scored and all the rest of it, but you're right. Out of the three finals, that, that hat-trick of wins, only one was 2-0. Yeah, well, I, th- I mean, that's that I think is a really interesting point more generally, that it is seen as being an attacking uh, form of football. And obviously, because it's set in in, in counterpoint to Catanaccio and, mm-hmm. and and your Celtics, I mean, I don't want to say Celtic played total football under Jock because they didn't, but their, their waves of attacking football were what sort of eventually crushed the great Inter mm-hmm. and, and psychologically damaged them so badly. We didn't just beat them in the final in, in 67, but Inter then went to a tailspin and threw away Serie A as well. And then, then Herrera, I think, never quite recovered from that. 
So there was it was definitely a, a general narrative at the time of Catanaccio on the one hand attacking football on the other, which total football was you know the most advanced and exciting form. Um, and yet the the really the real innovation of total football is the use of offside as an offensive tool mm. uh, of, of pressing out the pitch of of that press being facilitated by your back four pushing high, you're using offside to to prevent the opposition um, being able to counter you. I mean, I, I, I interviewed um, Mourinho Perez, who was Brazil's captain of the 74 World Cup, and they had a great game against the Netherlands. Uh, Netherlands won 2-0 in the, in the second group stage. A very violent game, magnificently violent game. <laughs> I mean, per- Perez knocked out Johan Neyskens, which cool. is some effort. Yeah. And then, of course, they, they end up playing for Barcelona together the following season. Right. Um, but uh, uh, Mourinho was saying... Um, Actually, I interviewed him in some. He lives in São Paulo. I interviewed him there, and he's got this incredibly sort of floral decor in his house. Completely doesn't fit his hard man image. These two little yappy, poodly terrier. But things. a Brazilian footballer who who had his day in the seventies. Yeah, but, the floral vibe. Do you know what it does? Very it does fit for me. Very Laura Ashley. Though, so. <laughs> um, We've all got our guilty pleasures. <laughs> but he he was saying that uh, yeah, in, in Brazil they they called that high offside line the donkey line. Because he just thought it was stupid. Mm. You play the ball over the top, somebody runs on. What? It can, how can how can that ever work? It just leaves you very open. And he gets to to Barcelona. He's been signed in the summer of '74 for Barca, so he, he's got cry from the side. Nashkin just turned up. Uh, Michael's is, Michael's is the coach, and he's told no, you have to press. And he sort of slowly gets his head around the idea of oh, if we press quickly enough and in unison, actually the player with the ball can't hasn't got time to play the mm-hmm. ball over the top. Um, and he said he remembers his first training system when it clicked and he, you know, he he presses up and he thinks brilliant I've finally got it only to find Michael screaming I'm going why have you stopped keep going keep pressing <laughs> <laughs> your job's not just to hold the line it's to go and get the ball as well yeah and it's, sort of, it's just so alien to what he'd been doing before but that of course is why total football was such a revelatory thing but I, I find it, it, it just sort of totally subverted people's expectations of what defenders should do and how yeah. how you stop the opposition from scoring it's the bamboozling nature of it that I find so incredible. You were saying earlier, Jonathan, that you're trying to figure out what formation they're playing and you're trying to look at the game with, you know, from a certain vantage point from cameras and all that and yet what will the opposition think? And then when you start talking about Cruyff Andy <clears throat> saying, you know, he popped up in this position where it's where he started and he'd gone all over the place. It's, it's, it's an absolute sort of phenomenal and fascinating thing. But also as well, like, their their dominance is to keep the ball. That idea of well, if we have the ball, they can't score, which is of course the complete opposite to years later what Jose Mourinho would come up with, who's of course the great anti sort of total football type of manager. But it is that um, the, the 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 sheer dominance of other teams would be to blow teams away, score five, six, seven, like Guardiola's Manchester City to use another you know uh, modern reference. Whereas theirs is to to dominate, completely bamboozle the opposition, and if you've got the one goal lead, they can't get the ball of us, and they don't know what we're doing, and we're running rings around them. I yeah, think the other thing we have on. to sorry, I was just going to say that the one thing that I, I do think is worth pointing out is that, that whereas Panathinaikos squeaked their way to the final, mm. Ajax didn't. They 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 yep. got past teams with a lot more. You have to respect the fact that this is a final, and this is the first final that that they won. Because, like I said, I think they started this game super confidently, like they wanted to they wanted to smash them, and that they weren't able to, that it was tense. I think you have to give credit, A, to Panathinaikos, and B, you have to respect the fact that it's a final. And Ajax hadn't made it yet. 
you know, they didn't quite have the swagger of winners. The little bits where they have that swagger and, you know, you can tell by the way the, the, the crowd responds to them. And it's, it's funny when you hear Wolstenholme on the commentary, when you read match reports about it, the atmosphere at Wembley, I mean, Kenneth Wolstenholme said, Wembley has never seen or heard anything like it because five you, years after England won the World Cup and this is a better atmosphere it's, it's incredible because you know you, you talk about the, the, the fact that there are loads of uh, Greek and Greek Cypriots who've um, immigrated to London mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the 50s and the 60s they're there I actually always of, took a lot of support though, loads of they? Dutch and yeah the minute the final whistle comes like loads of loads of Ajax fans pile on the pitch and, and Walsden Holmes going Oh, the, the police have lost control of it. He's <laughs> going, he's going, he's going crazy. Like, like people are. There's, there's a sense that they are really gripped by the moment. They are really gripped by the fact that, yeah, this is the start of something. This is the start of a movement. There is the fact that the fact that Van Dijk and Kaiser and Cruyff they look like rock stars. Yeah. And, you know that 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 is that is all part of it. But underneath it all, Ajax still a little bit nervous until they get over of the course. line. The, the point you make about pacing is key there. That, yeah, you know, I, I think speaking very, very roughly, but the divide when you when you look back at old football between when it looks like something very slow and very alien, mm. and it lo- or it looks like something like the modern game, and it's that late sixties period when pressing comes in. That that's the difference. Mm. So I, I think there's even moments of England sixty six when it looks like modern football, but mm. you're right, this is overtly modern football, and that ties into a point you were making about that position v possession mm. dynamic. I think this Ajax, had they been in the modern age, I think they would have won games more easily. But they remember they're doing this on 60s and 70s nutrition. Yep. Admittedly, as it subsequently turned out, taking amphetamines. Maybe mm-hmm. not this side, but certainly subsequent Ajax sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, um, uh, Salah Muller, their, their physio, has been very open that they, they took uh, you know, uh, well amphetamines. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't press for 90 minutes. They could press for 50 or 60 minutes. So what do you do in the other 30 to 40? Well, you hold the ball. <laughs> Let the ball do the work. And, and you, you have a rest. Mm. And you're having a rest on your terms. Whereas now, nutrition, fitness is so mm-hmm. good that Guardiola Manchester City can keep going for 90 minutes. And so they can just batter teams. And, yeah, okay, some games will be winning three or four and a half time. But a lot of games, a team's resolved just breaks in the last 20, 30 minutes. Mm. And then there's the deluge of goals. So I, I, th- I think... I think that's one of the reasons for that differential, because you know a, a team, you know, a, a, a recent team who who are focused on possession, who win one nil, would be the Spain national team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this Ajax is much more akin to a Guardiola side than to the to the Spain national team of um, Aragonés or mm-hmm. of uh, uh, Del Bosque. Interesting. Well, we'll leave it there, Jonathan. Uh, good point to, uh, to to end on. Um, Andy, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, the 1971 European Cup final will live long in the memory. Um, thank you very much for listening to uh, The Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. Do uh, check out The Blizzard, of course, theblizzard.co.uk uh, for, for more of this kind of content. Obviously, Football Ramble Daily as well. Um, uh, podcast from Monday to Saturday. Um, but until next week, Andy, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jonathan, thank you very much. Cheers, thank you. See you next week.
This was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>